0: hello everyone welcome back to plot lines i'm your host connor and today we're going to be talking about a book that came out relatively recently the pope's exorcist 101 questions about father gabriel amorth uh, published by sophia institute press and to help us to help go through it with us uh, is jordan burke he is the spokesman for uh, this book that came out from Sophia Institute Press. Uh, Jordan, welcome to the program.
1: Thanks for having me. Uh,
0: Can you give uh, the audience just a little bit about yourself so we can be familiar? Yeah, yeah. So uh,
1: I was not born, I wasn't raised Catholic. I was kind of all over the place with my dad. My dad converted, and then I kind of did the research and converted in high school. And unfortunately, as I think is the case with with most people, I never really made the faith my own. And so that resulted in uh, a non-virtuous life, <laughs> to put it kindly. Uh, and I ended up falling away from the church for a time. So I was a cop for a number of years and that put a strain on my my faith life and things of that nature, completely fell away. And by the grace of God, I had a pretty, uh, I would say, miraculous conversion or reversion, I think would be more proper to say and uh was lit on fire and came back with with a vengeance and got hired by the Avla foundation which spiritualdirection.com my high calling if anyone out there thinks they want to be a priest myhighcalling.com will help you out uh institute all those different things and started an apostolate on my own to help kind of combat a lot of the stuff that i fell into mainly pornography and uh that's called do the harder thing and the way you know god i kind of joke about this a lot but the way that god works he says okay you did what i wanted you do, to do to here and now i want you to do something else and so that led me into the world of uh, spiritual warfare and so i've been researching studying um you know talking to talking to and working with to an extent i'm using with with air quotes because i don't want false credibility here but with exorcists on certain things learning from them and trying to, to distill that information in such a way that uh, all of us here can utilize that knowledge to both live a more virtuous life and to fulfill the mission that God's put before us—to to bring about His kingdom, which includes crushing uh, the the head of the serpent.
0: So that's beautiful, awesome, good, good to know that. Uh, well, it's great having you on. Uh, for everyone watching, please like, share, comment, and subscribe so we can beat the algorithm. Yeah. Uh, so. It seems to me that this this book is out to combat the the movie, The Pope's Exorcist, with uh, Russell Crowe. Um, and I think that's very important. You know, uh, on this channel and on this podcast, we often discuss stories, fiction, as well as spiritual uh, sides. And so this is kind of... Uh, coming together in uh, an interesting way, uh, you know, setting the record straight about um, father, Gabrielle O'Morth. Uh, do you think that's a good summary of sort of the purpose of this book?
1: Yeah, I think that's totally fair. You know, you and I were talking before this and, and Sophia has not, Sophia Press has not said for sure that that was their purpose, but knowing all the good folks over there, it's a safe bet that that may have been part of, of the, part of the reason why they did this. Um, Because as I mentioned uh, before we went live, there's, you know, I haven't, I'll say I haven't seen the movie myself. I don't plan on seeing it, Um, but I've read some reviews and from what I've read, there's some pretty egregious lies about Father Morth and what he did and how he acted um, that are uh, egregious is actually probably not strong enough of a word if what I read is correct. So no, having a book like this and knowing who he was and what he did and what he believed and what he practiced and how he did those things is really important um, because Hollywood is just going to take, take any liberty that they can to, you know, sell a movie.
0: Exactly. And now, and I'm, I haven't seen it because I am not a horror film guy. Totally I, I, just, I don't, I, that's not the purpose I go to see a movie for. Really? And I really don't want to experience that. Yeah. <laughs> um, yep. So so I'd love to know what you th- why you think Father Gabriel Amorth is important.
1: Oh, that's a great question. So Father Amorth is a rare case in which we have one man who, by the grace of God, was given an extraordinary amount of experience and information in an area in the church that isn't really taught about all that often, and is constantly and. and there's such an influx of information and how things kind of change throughout history. He was a, so I'll say this, you know, he became a priest uh, at 32 years old, but he didn't become an exorcist until he was in his sixties and he died at 91. So he stopped performing exorcisms a little bit prior to uh, his death or he slowed down. At least I don't know the exact time there. There's none of his books are very clear on when he kind of slowed down. But just thinking about how one priest in his 60s, from 60 to 91, in that short period of time, performed over 60,000 exorcisms, which is wild. So wow. you can imagine the kind of information that he was able to gather and learn throughout that process um, and in his importance in the church. I mean, he founded the International Association for Exorcists. Before that time, there seemed to be no real way for exorcists to kind of exchange information unless they knew one another um formal training of sorts you know we have pope leo the 13th institute now as well as the iae but uh his knowledge and and the things that he learned and experienced are so important to us trying to learn and navigate the world of spiritual warfare which is normative if you're if you're living the catholic life and the faith even christian life if if you're if you're listening to this and you're not catholic you're still going to experience the enemy so, if you want to learn how to navigate it, this guy is—he has the experience.
0: Yeah, and this uh, this book is a great way to get uh, a peek into yeah. what uh, what this man knew about the demonic. Now, would you say that is it proper to say that every exorcism is successful?
1: No. So, uh, yeah. f- interestingly enough, he had a case that he was not able to free the person from the demonic possession in his time so he passes and then the case got passed on to his um his kind of apprentice and then his apprentice as far as i know still wasn't able to release the person from from the exorcism and that's it's i hesitate to say it's not uncommon because i don't think that's a fair statement and i don't want people to be afraid and think like oh no i'm never going to be free that's that's not the case at all you know this, and this even gets into a whole conversation of God's permissive will and, and things mm-hmm. of that nature. But to answer your question in short, um, no, not not every exorcism is successful, and for whatever reason that may be. Ideally, I mean everything is uh, according to God's will, but uh, yeah, no, it, it, there's there's some that are not freed.
0: How would you define what an exorcism is?
1: that's that's a phenomenal question so there's there there's the solemn rite of exorcism there's minor exorcisms and major exorcism the major exorcism is a solemn rite of exorcism minor exorcisms have kind of a looser definition but in in the case of what we're talking about with father and Morth performing the solemn rite of exorcism it is essentially a session in which the priest the exorcist priest has been appointed by the bishop to pray a particular set of prayers that only are appropriate for an exorcist priest to pray for this person to help free them from a demonic possession. There's varying levels of possession as well, but in, in this case, um, with what he did and he did a lot of things, but in to your question, um, the solemn rite of exorcism is someone who is fully possessed, uh, or, or yeah, we'll just say fully possessed. And, uh, he's praying particular prayers to help free that person.
0: So would the larger definition of exorcism be something like, uh, doing battle with the demonic?
1: Yeah, that's fair. Um, I think, but in a particular way, because as I mentioned earlier, you know, if you're living the normative Catholic life, you're going to be battling the demonic on, I wouldn't say a daily basis. I don't think that's an exaggeration, but you're going to be battling. Maybe it's more appropriate to say that the influence of the enemy so people out there and maybe you're familiar with uh the Ignatian uh discernment of spirits right The, the rules that he wrote to help people navigate their daily lives and and learn okay not every thought in my head is my own and I shouldn't listen maybe this uh moment where I am tempted towards anger is just that and a temptation and how do I go about combating that and that would be you know battling the enemy in the case of exorcisms, it's a whole different level where you're dealing with um, people who may be manifesting. The demon may speak through them. Um, there's all sorts of different things going on. It's 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 that battle, but it's on a much uh, larger scale, maybe a deeper level. Maybe that's a good way to kind of describe it.
0: Gotcha. It, so it's great. It's great to know sort of the basics of exorcisms and what sure. it is, but. Why should we be afraid of demonic possession?
1: So I take an interesting stance on this, and I I feel like most of the exorcists that we've worked with would would agree for the most part. And I don't think we should be afraid of possession. I think the way that I describe demons to people is like they're mosquitoes. They're there, and they're going to try to bug you. They're going to try to get you, and you should be aware. And when they bite you, you should smack at them and you should be a little bit concerned because some of them you know can cause some harm like a mosquito can transmit a disease you know with demons people can become possessed that being said if you're again I keep using this phrase the normative Christian or Catholic uh life if you're living a life of virtue if you are pursuing the sacraments as often as possible the Eucharist reconciliation if you have a good prayer life you know if you're choosing the good as much as you can you are going to have far more protection than you could even imagine. Like that's the primary way that you protect yourself. It's not like you can just, you know, unless God permits it, you're not just going to snap and get possessed. You know what I mean? That's yeah. a very, very rare, but um, so be a fear. I don't like giving more power to the enemy than he's due because as we know, you know, Mary crushes the head of Satan and God's provided everything within our, our faith to, to combat it, uh, you know, and, and all these various different ways.
0: I guess maybe the, a better way of sort of, uh, rephrasing would be, why should we, uh, why should we avoid demonic possession?
1: Okay. That's yeah. So let's, let's take this a step deeper, right? So of course you, you don't want to be possessed because it's horrific. (laughs) You have a, you, so a demon cannot possess your soul, but a demon can possess your body partly or fully, Right so it's interesting you read some of the cases from some of these exorcists where a demon will possess a particular part of someone's body like a this sounds kind of crazy but like someone's back you know for whatever reason it the demon is only permitted to exist there uh in full possessions you have some different uh different scenarios but the act of when someone is possessed it's horrific they're suffering it's intense intense suffering both of my parents were um, they assisted in in multiple multiple exorcisms, and some of the things that they've shared where they could where appropriate, it's it's horrific and not horror horror movie horrific, although that does occur. But just intense sadness. You know this person is suffering. Um, so then the question is, well, why would you? Obviously, you want to avoid that, but how do you avoid that? Mortal sin. Avoid mortal sin. That's a huge doorway. You know, uh, unforgiveness is a doorway. Um, the obvious ones, the occult, dabbling in the occult and dabbling in things that are, are not permissible to, to the uh, because the church says they're not permissible, but also because, you know, it's pretty obvious that you shouldn't go to a palm reader. It's pretty obvious that or it should be obvious that you shouldn't be dealing with astrology, divination, Enneagram, like all these different things that are of occult origin that should be avoided that open up doorways uh, for demonic possession. But I don't know if that answered your question.
0: I think it does, yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, so, there, there's just, there's so much fascination in Hollywood for exorcisms. Mm-hmm. Like, there's so many movies uh, regarding exorcisms. I mean, obviously, Russell Crowe is a big actor, who right. probably chose this opportunity to play uh, someone like Father Gabriel Amorth in a movie. Why do you think there's such a fascination amongst people in Hollywood with something most of them probably don't believe in
1: yeah that's a fascinating question i've wondered that a lot myself i I think part of it is it's kind of like the analogy of a train wreck people just kind of can't pull their eyes away even though it's horrific and they you know and and they they don't want to watch but they do watch anyway i think the other issue is that i mean i don't want to put on a tinfoil hat but if you just look at the news and you see how a lot of these uh some of these actors these producers that world is ripe with demonic activity it just it just is whether or not they believe it doesn't necessarily matter in this in this uh context because they're involved in it in a lot of different ways and of course not everybody you know that uh, you can't make a blanket blanket statement but a lot of them and I think that there's also maybe a third aspect of this this disordered curiosity this curiosity toss where people are just fascinated with things that are ugly and fascinated with things that are horrific and uh i don't know what that is maybe it's concupiscence maybe it's part of our fallen human nature where we're just drawn to these things um but i don't know if that that is an adequate answer to the to the to the problem (laughs) you know to explain the problem but yeah that's a great question i wish I, i had a more accurate answer
0: I mean we're not pl- you you and I are not planning on going to see the movie right, anytime right. soon or anything like that. Um but would there be a situation where you would go, go to a movie about an exorcist if it wasn't a horror movie, if it was supposed to be more realistic or should people just avoid that type of thing?
1: Well, so here's here's my take and this is strictly my take. Knowing how the enemy operates in our lives, one of the primary ways That they can influence us and mess with us quite frankly is through our imagination and so i'm very careful with what i put in into my my mind because i know that the enemy can use that later on You know you hear about this a lot with guys who uh struggle with pornography for a long time where those images will pop back up for them um even let's just say by the grace of god they've kicked that habit uh it will still pop up and they'll still be tempted with those images and it's just the enemy trying to get them to slip. The enemy is trying that doorknob. Like, okay, you close the door, but is it locked? You know, <laughs> like he's, he's trying it. Yeah. Um, so I'm very, I'm very particular with what I listen to, music, podcasts, uh, movies. Now, I will say that I'm in a weird position where I have to kind of speak on these things and people want my opinions on it. I don't think this movie is worth seeing after reading the reviews and knowing the different liberties that they took that were completely inaccurate in the fact that you know I've seen the trailer and it just it just seems to glorify evil and I'm I'm not I'm not gonna engage in that now comparative to something like nefarious which I have not seen I'm I'm I do plan on seeing that but only because uh and we're we're loosely connected with people who made it but because it's it's a not a horror movie and B, it's a completely orthodox understanding of the battle that we're in. Um, so, you know, people have to really discern, you know, there's a podcast uh, I'm going to put a review out of on soon called the, the Exorcist Files from Father Carlos Martins, who assisted on the movie uh, Nefarious And the podcast is phenomenal. That being said, if people are are uh, sensitive to those kinds of topics, They may discern that they don't want to listen, you know, because it is—it's very well produced, and they do reenactments, and you know, it has kind of that—that feel to it. But everything in it is everything in that podcast is orthodox and and really, really, really well done, and it's—it's almost like catechesis. So it's tough, you know. People need to discern, but um, in in terms of like the Pope's exorcist, that just seems like a a, a no go all around.
0: Gotcha. Do you think that they're just doing this? for money purposes in some ways, because like, why, why bring some people's attentions to something like this? Like, it seems like even if it's not orthodox, don't you think there's some good that might come out of just knowing exorcisms exist?
1: Yeah, potentially. Yeah. I mean, you can't rule that out. Um, I think I'm when, with my previous statement, I'm speaking more to the folks who already know, you know what I mean? Folks who already live in the faith if there's someone out there who doesn't know anything about it and they see it, I mean, God can use anything for good. You know, like I, I, like I mentioned my, when I started my ministry initially, it was because I had fallen to pornography and it had destroyed much of my life. And God used my own failings and my, my yes to him and my brokenness to turn that around and, and help people out. And does that mean that people should go watch pornography and be converted? Of course not. <laughs> you know what I mean? It doesn't work. <laughs> it doesn't yeah. work that way. Um, but God can still use it. So again, it's just a, it's a personal discernment thing, I think. Sure.
0: Awesome. Okay. Uh, so what are the, uh, the like, Um, sorry, Father Gabriel Omorth's greatest tools in, in uh, exorcisms? Like what, what, was his, yeah. Yeah, what was his tools?
1: So in his, he carried a little briefcase and in it, he had his purple stole. He had a, I believe he had a wooden crucifix and a silver crucifix, holy water and uh, blessed oils. But primarily the number one thing that he had was prayers, right? So he had the, what's fascinating about Father Morth is that he had the, uh, the rite of exorcism, which is a very long, 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 rite. He had it memorized, which of course, if you're doing 60,000 exorcisms, it's so you're going to have it memorized. (laughs) Yeah. Still, still pretty amazing. But with those physical things, those sacramentals, whether it's the crucifix or the holy water, whatever he had with him, um, the the prayers were such a primary aspect of what he was doing, because, you know, it's not the exorcist that casts out demons, it's Jesus through the exorcist. It all goes back to Jesus. So invoking Jesus, invoking God, invoking Mary, invoking the saints, you know, all these things, these prayers are so powerful. Um, And then even exorcists today will use many things like uh, relics are are a big, a big part of exorcisms now. Um, And that's, again, it's invoking these saints and God using these sacramentals and these things to help uh, free people who are suffering tremendously.
0: I think the book says that sometimes the, uh, a demon would be exercised even just the presence of a saint by the presence of a saint.
1: Yeah, I mean we 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 can look at scripture and I believe it was um Peter, his his shadow, right, would would cause healings and and would uh, I believe don't quote me on this. I'm not a I'm not a I'm <laughs> not a theologian, but we know we know his shadow had a powerful effect. Um and his garment was pieces of his garment were taken around and 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 healed people. So yeah, I mean it's it's prayer and and the things that the church has given us are, are powerful means to to uh freedom
0: was there any difference between sort of the wooden cross uh, wooden crucifix and the silver crucifix you know i don't
1: know i've read all of his books and and not a single one has mentioned any difference between the two i'm wondering and i've been curious about that myself i wonder if it was just you know he really liked one more than the other i don't know <laughs> maybe you know it could have been made of olive wood too I, i'm not sure i have i think we all kind of have one of those rosaries with olive wood from uh from the holy land so there's no telling
0: well there can be i mean there's can be physical some physical danger during exorcists exorcism, oh, for sure. right so yeah. would it be that a silver one might be more dangerous in some ways to the you know maybe himself?
1: yeah maybe i'm not sure um i it, yeah I'm not that's a really good question uh there is danger you know there are so he mentions in the book about how the room where he did the exorcisms primarily had a bed and the bed had restraints and so a lot of people hear that and they're like "Ooh, that sounds weird but it, when you understand what goes on in an exorcism those restraints are are to help keep the person not just from harming others but primarily from harming themselves Because when a demon manifests, there's no telling what what can happen. I was just uh, I was just listening to a story about a a pre exorcist priest who was grabbed by the person who was possessed and lifted off the ground by his throat. So there is danger involved in some of these cases. That being said, though, there's also times where there was another case where a, a assistant was because these the exorcists have teams of assistants who are usually praying it's intercessory prayer and helping make sure that everything um, no one gets hurt. And then also for accountability purposes. But uh, this person discovered that and when they invoked the archangels, that they didn't have to physically restrain the person anymore so that mm-hmm. they went from fighting with the person, you know, holding their legs and arms down, things of that nature. And this person rec- recounted that when they started invoking the archangels, by the time the exorcism was was done, they were only using like a finger to hold the person down because archangels were interceding for them, and they were doing mm-hmm. the bulk of the work. So
0: that's really interesting. Yeah. Uh, we, we kind of, kind of, of skipped yeah. a little bit regarding how someone would would uh, get in the process of uh, going through an exorcism.
1: Sure. So if there are people who are out there who believe that they're possessed. Um, the process is intricate for a reason because primarily the church wants to make sure that whether or not you're possessed, whether it's possession or, or simply a mental illness, that they can help you as much as possible. So let's say that it's not a possession. They determine that's a mental illness. They want to get you help. The church is not just going to say, well, you're not possessed and then send you out the door. They, they, they love the people that, you know, the church loves its, its congregation and wants to help, uh, help heal people. But the process involves in a lot of ways you know you would contact your diocese you would say look i'm I'm struggling with this i think i might be possessed these are this is what's going on and they walk you through the process and a lot of times it even begins with meeting with a uh, trusted therapist and the therapist can help determine as i mentioned the uh, mental illness portion of it and and that's a complicated topic in and of itself but um you go through that and if the if the therapist says yeah i think there's something more here then it could it can move on to the exorcist and i'm giving a very nutshell version here um but yeah it's not a it's not a like oh i think i'm having some issues i'm gonna go see an exorcist it's like no you know their time has to be protected and unfortunately there's a lot of people who um, fake symptoms of possession in order to because of whatever they're dealing with mentally uh, in order to fulfill whatever need they think they need to fulfill from the exorcist.
0: Interesting. So, I mean, it all comes down to somebody's desire to be exercised. Right. right. And uh, I imagine that would be, might fall in the case of like parents. If a, if a child becomes uh, possessed.
1: Yeah. So there's a case I I heard recently where um, a daughter was possessed. She was possessed through, Basically, a wound, her father had abandoned her, and she ended up having some serious psychological issues, depression, as well as, uh, gosh, I can't remember the other, the other thing she was struggling with, but she had some mental issues. And so a demon saw that wound. A wound is a big doorway for people who, who have wounds and they don't seek to heal them. And the demon said base, presented itself to her as her father who left and got permission to to possess her. It tricked her essentially because that's what demons do and uh, she became possessed. And so she had no clue that she was possessed, but her parents figured it out because of some of the things that were going on and they took her to an exorcist and then kind of the process began there. So yeah, it's totally possible for parents to bring people in. It's not uncommon for people from other denominations. Uh, There's another case I heard recently that was similar to that where someone who was not a Catholic um was possessed and they went to their non-catholic parish and the the person there said hey listen this is above my pay grade you need to go to the catholics and then they kind of went through the process there
0: it's so you know so crazy that that's a mindset of protestants to be like you know uh, we can't deal with this uh better go to the catholic church just right. how how is there a disconnect between that and like faith like i it,
1: wish i knew yeah it's so i hear i've heard multiple stories like that and i'm like okay guys <laughs> you're, like, you're right there you're right there come into the fullness we got we got a lot to offer you, you
0: you've you already admitted <laughs> yeah, yeah. the weakness of your denomination right, right. um but i, I just want to make sure everyone knows so it's voluntary there's exorcisms right. are always voluntary right, right. um now uh, I thought it was interesting what the uh, book said about um, Father Gabriel Morth's relationship with the charism- charismatic renewal. Could you speak yeah. to that?
1: Yeah, this was fascinating for me as well. So Father Amorth was actually huge, uh, a, a huge proponent of the charismatic renewal. He, he loved them a lot, but he was also very – this is one of the things I love about Father Amorth. He loved them and he encouraged them. But he also recognized some of the shortcomings that happen within the charismatic renewal. And I am not anti-charismatic at all. So I'm speaking strictly to what he wrote. And he was very clear to say, he outright said, if anyone says that they have a gift, a charismatic gift, they don't have it. And he, he said that in multiple of his books. If they say they have the gift, they don't have it. He said the people who truly have gifts keep it hidden. And they only use it when God, you know, kind of tells them or permits them to use it. Um, and then he also was also, he was very strong and he said, listen, I don't want, he said, I don't like people laying hands on anybody else for multiple reasons. And he said, I've told multiple charismatic conferences that I've spoken at to not do that. And they do their own thing. They just keep doing their own thing. So I wish they would stop. But again, he, he was still a proponent of them and he recognized that in a lot of ways, the charismatics kind of pick up where, um, certain aspects of the church have kind of fallen off. So. You know, I think it goes back to we're all members of one body and we're all just kind of carrying different aspects of that.
0: Sure. And I think, at least from my perspective, that if if those things that Father Amorth said, I think people would be there would be a lot more people interested in the um, the charismatic renewal. Right. right. Uh, that have some concerns uh, with it. uh, uh with it, there, with uh, the laying of hands, and you know, sort of this uh, discussion of gifts like that. Um, so, was he sort of the first uh, well-known exorcist, or were there others previously?
1: So the, the most well-known is Jesus, of course. <laughs>
0: right? Priest, so, I guess I should yeah, say. So,
1: so Jesus and then the disciples, of course. Yeah. But um, outside of him in in modern times, priests, as you said, I think he was kind of a, um, I don't want to say trendsetter because I don't think that's the appropriate word, but he was willing to speak about these things in a way that it seems as if at the time that no one else really wanted to speak about. So in that sense, yeah, he was probably one of the most well-known um, and certainly his writing has been prolific over the years, um, before he passed and his books are still, I mean, obviously Sophia just printed another book of his, uh, or, or regarding his questions, but his books continue to sell and he is, uh, he's a leading authority. It makes sense. You know, he was Rome's exorcist for, for his whole career. So, or for most of his career, I should say.
0: Yeah. I should, I should have specified, uh, um, not God. Right. <laughs> right. Um. <laughs> Um, so I've also, I've heard this before and I don't, I've never heard heard it confirmed necessarily, but I've heard that Lucifer and Satan aren't necessarily the same person. Have you heard that before?
1: So I haven't heard, I've had people ask that question and they're different names for the same Entity for the same being Um, father fast. Interestingly enough, I should say uh, father Morris first exorcism. He actually encountered um, Satan or at least a demon that said uh, his name was Satan. And it's doing more studies. It's not uncommon for demons. Their whole let's let's I'll back up a little bit. Their whole thing is they don't want to leave. So they're going to do whatever they can to stay and they're going to lie. They're going to deceive They're gonna do all these different things they're gonna try to trick people to to make them um, think that they are more powerful than they are or to kind of just deceive them so one of the first questions that exorcists ask in an exorcism and it's permitted within the roman ritual because another thing you'll hear is you're not supposed to ask demons their names Lay lay people were not supposed to but exorcists are and there's power within that so if an exorcist can determine the name of a demon um, then they it helps them diagnose and better battle within that exorcism uh, itself so i bring that up because it's possible for demons to lie and say that they are satan or lucifer when they're not to try to deceive like oh no this is way more powerful than i can deal with which i don't think any exorcist worth salt would would you know say but uh, it is a tactic for them to lie um, but yeah that's it's uh, they are the same they're the same
0: Okay. How are uh how or how do exorcists discern whether or not the demon is lying to them? Cuz I I thought that uh or at least I've heard that when the um exorcists command the demon to for an answer for of some sort that they would not be allowed to lie.
1: Right, right. Yeah, so uh it's important to note that exorcist priests are not permitted and it it is highly 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 dangerous for them to ask any questions out of curiosity so they're limited to the questions that they can ask within those questions there's basically two bulletproof ways to know whether or not a demon is telling the truth one is as you just mentioned um they can they can uh command in the name of jesus to tell the truth and they will have to tell the truth The other way is if if exorcists, depending on how many cases that they've worked, they'll start to notice trends and behavior and statements. And so uh, demons will, for instance, I I can't remember the story exactly, but basically it boils down to this. The exorcist priest made a statement and the demon corrected them, right? Because demons are totally legalistic and they want to make a fool of everybody in the room and all these other sorts of things. And so there are times where demons will take the opportunity to correct the priest in order to try to embarrass him or make a fool of him. And after a certain amount of time, you hear enough of those statements from different demons that are all the same. And it relates. It either lines up with what we know to be theologically correct or it's right within the realm of what we know to be theologically correct. So we either like actually correct or adjacent <laughs> and uh, and then they can determine, okay, this is probably the reality of what's going on.
0: Okay. There are a team of people working on an exorcism. How, how, what does that look like? What does that team look like?
1: Right. So depending on depending on the exorcist, Father Bramante, who wrote for Pope Leo Thirteenth Institute, uh, wrote that he had something, he had basically a center where he had a team that kind of helped ask questions outside of the exorcism while the person was lucid to kind of determine you know what path uh, life path this person was on what are different things that they may or may not have engaged in because that helps the exorcist determine where to go where the demon may have made entry those sorts of things um but the primary purpose of a team in a lot of ways is to have intercessory prayer for the for the person who's suffering but prayers of protection for the priest so a lot of these intercessory teams will just pray the rosary while they're in the midst of the exorcism, um, and the other big purpose is for accountability because you don't want anyone making claims, um, you don't want anyone getting hurt. So when you have a group of people in the room, it keeps kind of keeps those things from happening.
0: So a priest wouldn't be alone. In- Never. Oh okay. man.
1: Yeah. If he's if he <laughs> if he if he wants the world to hurt, he's going to be alone. But uh, other than that, it's it's I don't even know. I I'd have to refer to the to the the ritual or ask someone who knows more about this. But um, as far as I'm aware, I don't think they're actually permitted to be alone. I know for a fact they're not permitted to do exorcisms within like the bedroom of the person. So like the person's room, they can't do it there. It's almost always in a church or some off site location.
0: Okay. And so from reading some of the reviews of the Pope's Exorcist. Would could you debunk some of the things that you uh heard about or that were wrong?
1: Sure, yeah, yeah. So with them in the movie, one of the big things that just shocked me when I when I read it was that uh and and I guess it's probably a play off of the exorcist movie, but the in, in the Pope's Exorcist the movie, the and not the book, the movie, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's not him, not in this book. Yeah. They claim that Father Amorth uh, offered himself to be possessed, which uh, exorcist would never do, and that's why I think it kind of plays back to the Exorcist movie because that the the priest in that movie did the same thing. That would never happen. It's it's happened once that I'm aware of, and it was in like the 1600s, and it was horrific. But uh, no priest would ever do that. What
0: was the context of that? So I
1: think part of the problem was that at this time. I believe it was a French priest who was if I'm if I'm recalling the details correctly, uh, I believe it was a French priest who was exercising a group of nuns or a nun in in a convent. And he just didn't know what he was doing. And he offered uh, to be possessed instead of the woman. And of course, the demon was like, Hey, this is this is my, uh, this is my, my, I think the the exorcist who was relaying the story was said, it's my Easter egg, right? so he got his prize he got the he got to possess a priest priest ended up trying to commit suicide at one point and um i don't remember how it ended but it wasn't the whole thing was just wrought with suffering and, and darkness um so that would never happen some more problems with the movie i believe uh, i read that it was uh, wrapped around this like da vinci code type story of well the satan was behind the crusades and the Vatican knew about it and they're trying to hide it and all these other different things. It's just nonsense. You know, it's, it's to whatever they can do to make a buck and make the church look bad. And yeah.
0: Yeah. And they say that it's based off of his die or his, uh, the files that he wrote. Is that?
1: Yeah. I don't, I, I don't know. I mean, you look at, what's funny to me is that uh, he's been so open about all the things that he's done in all of his different books and he's he's answered so many questions and they can't even if you look up the, and they may have changed by now but if you look up the pope's exorcist movie it says well father morth performed over a hundred thousand exorcisms Of like he's written so many books where he says sixty thousand. he says if i was a guess it'd be around 60 000. I'm like you guys can't even get basic this is basic stuff <laughs> <That's> <laughs> you can't even get that right so yeah
0: that's That's interesting. And it, his response to being like well known is kind of interesting. Like you know, uh, you know, he he, he tr- tried to show that he wasn't anything special.
1: yeah, he he called himself a good for nothing, which I love. he he and what's fascinating is that he knew, as we all do in one way or another, suffer with pride, right? which is like the root of all of all sin. And so he was constantly, he always reiterated, it's not me. I'm a good for nothing. And he he knew very well, as I mentioned earlier, it's not the priest who does it. You know, it's, it's Jesus. It's, it's Jesus through the priest, God through the priest who's, who's helping liberate people. And as soon, and he's written and warned folks, if you think it's you, you know, that's what the enemy wants. He's going to start poking at that pride. And next thing you know, you're going to go down the slippery slope and it's going to end up in a bad place.
0: Yeah. Now. Uh, the book talks about Freemasonry mm-hmm. how does it connect with does it connect with Satanism
1: yeah so Freemasonry is, is a huge issue huge huge issue and there's a lot of different forms of Freemasonry like the Elks Lodge is one of them I mean there's there's too many to list and to kind of put in perspective how bad Freemasonry is for those I, I've actually sat through at least one if not multiple sessions where uh, someone was going through the prayers renouncing Freemasonry. And the process of that is it's you have to say this particular prayer three times. Now the prayer once takes 45 minutes to say if Yeah, it's crazy. So you say it twice on your own. And then you say it a third time with a priest to ratify that you're rejecting these things, um, as well as confession, of course, uh and it's 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 so intense that the people who are involved in freemasonry at certain levels will will promise i believe it was five generations of their family and so what we're seeing is you'll see people who maybe their grandparent or their grandfather was a mason and they are experiencing all sorts of horrific uh physical ailments which i I find very fascinating uh and it's because of what the uh, in a way it's kind of like generational sin but it's because of what their ancestors so to speak were involved in with freemasonry but freemasonry itself some of the uh, if you read through the prayer and you can find it online and it's it you're, you know it, it kind of gives a whole list of different things st michael center has it out on their their app and their website um, but you can read how you know at this level this person uh rejects Jesus and says he was nothing more than XYZ and um they have to pretend you know that they're like in a ritual death I'm giving a little bit more um flourish to it than than maybe they have in I've never experienced it within their own <laughs> ranks but uh yeah it's all it's all anti all anti-christian in all forms and uh, if you have if anyone out there that they have anyone whose family member was involved in Freemasonry I would highly highly recommend that you um, there's a short form, which is okay, but if you really want to make sure it's not going to bother you, start praying the long form, find a priest who will, <clears throat> excuse me, who will ratify it for you and just get that out of your life.
0: So even if you're, uh, if you're a descendant of someone who was a Freemason, you can still be affected and you, you should go through the same process that somebody who was a full Freemason would go through.
1: Yeah, with exception of confession. So obviously, okay. like for instance, um, this isn't this didn't happen in my family. But as an example, if my grandfather was a mason, I wouldn't have to take that to confession because I didn't commit that sin. I would, however, have to go through those prayers and say it three times to help uh, break that break that tie. And what you're essentially doing is w- we understand that uh, demons are incredibly legalistic. So when someone goes and becomes a mason and they promise certain things. They're giving authority to the demons to impact their family, not just themselves, but their family in particular ways. So if you imagine that there's chains or talons, right? There's a chain around you and your family. And the only way to break that for someone who, as you said, is a descendant from someone who's, who's chosen that path, uh, is to pray those prayers in order to break that authority structure that your grandparents or family members, whoever it was kind of put in place.
0: What if you're, is this the same, would it be the same for if you, if say, say you have a descent or, i sorry, an ancestor that did this and uh, would your, and then if you went through the prayers, would your child then be in the same danger? Would they have to yeah. do the same thing or would they be freed as well?
1: They would be freed as well. And it's all permitted by the grace of God, of course, but sure. you're, you're taking a stance and you're saying it stops with me. It stops here. Um, so you don't have to worry necessarily about your generational line. So if something pops up, you know, you keep it in the back of your mind, but, um, every time I've experienced anything regarding Freemasonry, once that person decides it stops here, it it stops there.
0: Okay. And there was a big, you know, I mean, in the 1700s, 1800s, there was such a, I don't know when it, it when maybe Freemasonry declined or even if it is declined, but there were the most some of the most powerful people have always yes. have been Freemasons in the world, and it's that's just dangerous because a lot of you know a lot of wealth and a lot of that type of thing and power f- follows down that g- generational line. Yep. So those people are all you know subject to those um they be considered curses or what would they be considered? Just. Um...
1: Yeah. I don't know if it fits the strict definition, which I, I couldn't recount off the top of my head, but it, that's a good way to describe it. So people kind of understand and I mean, I, I, I live in the South and man, you see Freemason symbols on license plates. It's still very active today, unfortunately. And now the other question people ask is, well, you know, what can happen if my, my grandpa went through their lodge and he wasn't really like he didn't like rise up the ranks you still you still gotta be c- very careful and i would still recommend praying those prayers it's it's similar to like well i played with the ouija board and i didn't get possessed it's like well okay fine however that's you're still playing with fire and just because you didn't get a third degree burn doesn't mean that you didn't get some ash on you you know you still got to make sure that you're clean and you're not you know um dabbling in things that you're not supposed to dabble in
0: yeah did uh and with freemasonry um hold on sorry uh freemasonry the organization kind of has this air of i don't know uh charity that they right. l- put upon themselves like how does that like how does that work how do they put on this like charitable like you know there are a lot of hospitals run by Freemasons. So yeah, it's like it's
1: uh they're good salespeople, right? And that's yeah. the trick, you know, they they're again demons deceive. That's that's their whole structure is deception, you know. And so for them to be able to draw people in, they'll do whatever it takes, whether that's providing groceries and providing cookouts mm-hmm. and things of that nature. If you can draw people in because it looks attractive, you know, then they're going to draw people in. They're going to do what it takes to draw people in. And we know from Scripture, the the enemy can appear as an as an angel of light, you know. So it's not it's not outside the realm of possibility at all.
0: Yeah. Now I have a personal beef with Freemasons. Uh, I w- when I was born, uh, I was born. Uh, what is it? Congen I had congenital. Uh, missing uh hands missing arms uh and my uh and all i had have limb wise is my feet and my legs uh and my parents took me to a freemason uh hospital mm. and they suggested that th- that my parents have my feet cut off mm. uh because i don't know i mean they they're their um their rationale was that this would allow me to be able to walk maybe in the future mm. uh but it, it's such it's incredibly short-sighted obviously of what the possibilities might hold in the future but right. also it just seems to me that seems a bit sus- suspicious
1: yeah no I, I yeah that's yeah i mean and even in and in, in hospitals that are not um Freemason run i have a lot of friends who are doctors and they tell me some horrible stories about stuff that they have to deal with but yeah in that particular case that's i don't i have never heard about anything regarding feet so i couldn't give you any insight into that but man that's that's not uh thank god your parents didn't listen i'll say that yeah
0: yeah yeah i'm very grateful for my parents for a lot of things and uh when i was born also uh or or, sorry before i was born they knew i was going to uh be born uh differently and, um, the, you know, the doctors were like, well, it's too late for an abortion. <laughs> mm. I'm like, yeah, they were, you know, they're like, yeah, that we weren't going to do that. Anyways. Yeah. <laughs> that wasn't enough for us. Yeah. Thanks, <laughs> <laughs> anyways. So it's just, uh, I have, um, a strong dislike even outside of all the churches, uh, uh, warnings against Freemasonry, yeah. the, even though they put on this air of, uh, charity and, you know, salesmen, uh, they're good salesmen. They are certainly not to be trusted.
1: So I would guess you have, maybe you have a, a strong connection to Maximilian Colby then.
0: Uh, what, I don't know what the, what is the connection there? I mean, so, I, I do love the St. Maximilian Colby, but.
1: So Maxim St. Maximilian Colby, uh, straight up said that the Freemasons are the enemy of the church. <laughs> he he had a strong strong dislike for the freemasons he he was all about fighting them
0: okay yeah i, I do love uh st max colbe uh, yeah. uh, there is a uh shrine the national shrine isn't too far uh away from where i live so that's a there's a connection there at there least go. there um, you go but yeah so uh is there anything well actually so my last kind of question that one of the things that stood out in the book was his uh differentiate the differentiation between like fiction like Harry Potter mm-hmm. and fiction like Lord of the Rings um like and it seemed it seemed odd i mean it, the distinction seemed to be that the focus is on magic and wizardry in Harry Potter and sort of Gandalf i mean there's a lot of deeper things regarding Lord of the Rings that makes you know things that it makes it catholic obviously but that gandalf isn't the center and isn't the protagonist of the story can you uh sort of um expand a little bit about that
1: sure yeah so he he was asked a lot especially when harry potter came out um is this something that people should be engaged in and he had a very nuanced uh comment that i appreciate um where he basically said essentially what you said but he 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 added a little bit more which was you know there's a risk involved where people are not differentiating between something that is a part of the story to drive the plot like in lord of the rings uh and something that is glorifying magic which is condemned by the church right so that was his main issue with it I'd be curious though, I've always wondered this because of course Father Ripperger has spoken out very strongly against Harry Potter father Callaway um in the line there's kind of two side two different camps there um Father Martin echoes more of what Father Morth had said and said basically, you know, yeah, if you're kind of predisposed to falling into stuff, you probably shouldn't look at it. My whole thing is uh you know i I wonder if knowing what we know now with things that like father Ripperger has spoken about um if that would change his stance regardless his stance is still true in the sense that you know it it is if it's something that glorifies something negative or something that's condemned by the church you probably need to not be engaged in it um but I don't know who knows I I do appreciate though that he was very nuanced with his with his comments on it and he was very careful not to Kind of, he, he felt like he was very in the middle, and I like that. I, I don't like my whole thing is like we have these two camps in the church, regardless of what it is. Right, every mm-hmm. everybody's in one of two camps. No one's in the middle, and so I love pulling people to the middle. And I feel like that's a lot of what he was doing.
0: So his position, more so, is caution and right. um not not sort of intrinsically evil. With that, right. uh, okay,
1: that's a great way to say it.
0: And but what's interesting about like Lord of the Rings. I don't know if you know uh, if you've ever read like the sort of the more like that's the Silmarillion. The I
1: haven't read that one. I've heard it's good, but I haven't read it.
0: Okay. Well, just like a part of that is that we kind of learned that Gandalf is basically an angel.
1: Right. Oh, interesting. Okay.
0: So all his abilities stem from a spiritual power. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, so in, in some sense, Yes, the name wizard is on his uh, character, but he his power is of the angelic kind.
1: Right. Huh. That's really interesting. Yeah, because it it made me reflect on stories. I don't know if you've ever read uh, George MacDonald has two. He has a lot of prolific books. George MacDonald was actually a huge influence on C.S. Lewis and J.R.R. Tolkien and uh two of his books that I I absolutely love I have one behind me that's from like 1912. it's it's really an old it was a great find but the princess and the Goblin and then the follow-up which is the Princess and Curdy. and it's interesting because there are aspects of this kind of like mystical thing that's going on but very much like what J.R.R. Tolkien did it was it was a part of the story and I can't imagine reading those books to my daughter and my daughter going out and like trying to find whatever that magic thing was. You know what I mean? Okay. Whereas the risk now with Harry Potter is we have all these young people who are very easily influenced who see magic glorified. And then, you know, I went to Barnes and Noble uh, last week and they have an entire section on uh, magic books, spell books, tarot cards, crystals, all these different oh. things. And so you see, I, I I can see exactly where Father Morth was going with this. Yeah, you need to be cautious because if you're not being cautious and filtering things, you're going to end up being influenced and go down this this path.
0: Do you think the decline of education has a more has more to do with that too? Just like you know, not understanding sort of uh, you know, I don't know how, the fiction element of it. If you're if you're sort of inundated with this sort of uh, Harry Potter stuff. If you have like a broader understanding of fiction and, um, and you know you you have a lot of fictional, you know, if you've read a lot of books, basically, you, you have a bigger understanding of fiction. Would that make you less uh, sort of influenced? I think
1: so. I think I've never thought about that before, but I, I think you've touched on something. I think there's something to that. Um Yeah, I think you're right. Normally, we talking about these things. I kind of. Fall on the division of what the family is supposed to be. So you don't have parents explaining because it all starts in the home. Mm-hmm. But that would even go to your point of, of education. Are the parents properly educating their kids? Are they showing them these classic books that they can read that are edifying? You know, you can read C.S. Lewis, you can read J.R. Tolkien, you can read George MacDonald, you can read, you know, Chesterton, all, all these classics. Flannery O'Connor is one of my all time favorite authors, right? Um, and then, yeah, I think you're right. I think if people had a better education, ideally from their parents, um, they could probably navigate those waters a little bit better.
0: And I do see like there's something obsessive about Harry Potter. Yes. People get incredibly I- obsessive. I do think that has something to do with the fact that they haven't read anything else, they haven't right. done anything else. That's all they know from their childhood. Now, I don't know if there is, you know, maybe there is a spiritual element to that, uh, but it just seems like our education is so bad that that's all they can cling on to. um, And that can be dangerous.
1: Well, I'll tell you, my biggest issue with these things is when you are touching on a particular aspect of something that the church has spoken out against, Um, for instance, Enneagram is one that I've hammered endlessly endlessly hammer, hammered the enneagram and it's extraordinarily popular and Where i presented people Are, what's that the enneagram
0: i've never heard that what is good that? okay
1: <laughs> yeah it's it's it markets itself as a personality typing system but when you go into the history of it uh it's very clear that it is uh it's a cult and i even found video from one of its creators who admitted to practicing essentially witchcraft in order to formulate the enneagram And you can show that to people and the reaction is the same reaction that you get when you tell people, hey, maybe you should, maybe you should consider reading something other than Harry Potter, (laughs) whether it's whether it's the Enneagram, whether it's uh, Eastern yoga, whether it's, you know, these sorts of things. The thing for me is they all have the same vitriolic reaction. And I'm like, oh, okay, there's something there. I don't know what that something is, it may just be unhealthy attachments. But that in and of itself should be enough for people to say, okay, I need to check myself. And if I am having this reaction to this thing, then I need to probably get rid of it.
0: Yeah. I've heard two different things about uh, what I'm going to ask you uh, in a second. What uh, the pentagram, Mm -hmm. I've heard that it has a a Christian uh, origin or at least a Christian use. Is there anything to that or is the pentagram completely is that is that a sort of witchcraft thing
1: so i'm not 100 touched up on the origins of the pentagram i know that um almost a hundred percent of it in use today is used for demonic practices what or cult practices whatever it's saying i'm mean, demonic and occult essentially the same thing um is that witchcraft
0: being- the same thing is
1: that too yeah, basically. Okay. Yeah, they're all the
0: same. Okay.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's all it's all led by demons. What, what? No, no matter what form it is, it's all led by demons, right? Okay. Um, now, I will say, if I so to be as intellectually honest as possible, uh, there are a lot of instances where the occult has taken Christian imagery and used it for their own means. So, uh, I'm not ruling out because, again, I don't know for sure. I'm just, I'm, I'm verbally processing here with you <laughs> mm-hmm. i'm not ruling out that there may be a, a potential that it was a christian image at some time however in modern use uh it's very obvious like i would never have anything if i see a pentagram it's like okay there's a red flag something 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 not good is going on here or, or whatever
0: if it was a christian symbol originally would that would its usage currently so sort of taint that or um like how did how would that work
1: that's a good question. So I don't think it would necessarily taint it in the sense that if God created something good, then see, now you're, you're tapping into my lack of theology here. <laughs> uh, the, I, I got to break out the summa, right? So um, I struggle to say that it would, it would taint it, for instance. Um, However, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how to answer that question. Because the, the thing that's coming to mind right now, I'll just tell you, is uh, the, the triangle, right? So you see um, the triangle most often asso- associated today, people would recognize it with Illuminati. But if you look at old, like really classic, old Catholic, purely Catholic art, the triangle was used to almost always depict it around God himself, or you'd see, so you'd see an image of God, Jesus, you know the holy spirit these sorts of things and there'd be a triangle behind god's head because it was a symbol of the catholic faith in that way and we've seen how the occult and particularly in uh, illuminati circles where um, they've tried to take that and make it their own thing um, you know we have people pushing for uh so halloween i did a i did a podcast episode on this gosh i think like two years ago and the history and the origins of halloween all Hallows eve Right, Mm -hmm. it was originally a Catholic holiday. Technically, it still is a Catholic holiday. So, regardless of if you know bad actors are trying to turn it into something else, it itself is still Christian. So, in terms of the pentagram, you'd have to really determine where it came from to answer that question. And that, that uh, unfortunately, I'll add it to my list of things to research. But off the top of
0: my head, I don't know that one. Get on that one. Yeah. Uh I'll need an answer. Okay. <laughs> um, well, it's has uh, been a pleasure talking to you, Jordan. Uh yeah. where can people find your work?
1: So uh most of my work is on Instagram at do the underscore harder thing. We're gonna have a series come out called The Devils in the Details. That's gonna we're really excited about it. We're we're gonna help people navigate these waters, really take uh hyper complex topics like spiritual authority and make it really uh understandable interviewing a ton of experts um so that's all on instagram and uh, spiritualdirection.com's youtube also spiritualdirection.com Avalon institute my high calling all these different things but uh yeah it's all out there
0: Okay, sounds good. Awesome. Uh the link to get the Pope's ex- Pope ex- Pope's exorcist 101 sorry 101 questions about Father Gabriel Amorth uh will be linked in the description so you can go out if you if you found this conversation really interesting and want to know um more uh answers to your uh the questions you might have about Father Amorth. Uh Thank you, Jordan, for coming on. I'm uh, really happy we got to have this discussion.
1: Yeah, thank you so much. It was a blast.
0: Well, uh, everyone, please like, share, comment, and subscribe. People need to know about exorcisms and the the power of the demonic and how to avoid that. Uh, So thank you all for watching, and have a blessed day. Bye.